Well, good morning, church. Uh, as, as this year has gone, we've encountered some, some weirdnesses, um, and this is another, another weirdness that we get to uh, me preaching from my house, but I am fireside, so it's, it's cozy. I hope you feel that coziness with you this morning. Uh, we are, we're grateful to be able to have this type of technology to help us through, but uh, we're, my family's missing being together. I'm missing being there with you uh, this morning uh, as, as just to hug on the Johnsons and everything. There's just so much that uh, is being missed in this. But what we, what we don't miss is the glory of God's Word together. And so again, we will finish our Advent series, A Weary World Rejoices, this morning. Uh, if, so if you would, uh, open to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read uh, verses 26 through 33. And, you know, as we've done, as we've looked at in this series, we have, uh, we've looked at Jesus as prophet. We've looked at Jesus as priest, as the sacrifice, the prophet. He's the spokesperson between us and God as mediator in, in speech. And then the priest, uh, he is the sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice that offers the perfect sacrifice. Uh, so he is our mediator in terms of bringing us to God and forgiving us of our sins. Today we're going to consider uh, Jesus as king. And what's unique about that is not, it's not written in the story of when Jesus was born. It's written in the story of when Gabriel appeared to Mary. And so that's what we will look at in these verses together. Luke 1 verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Lord, we ask that the, the preaching of your word, <coughs> even in this fashion would prove fruitful and God that we would prove faithful as your people to live under your rule as our eternal king so help us understand that today in Jesus name we pray amen if you recognized in that passage when we read uh, the angel is coming to Jesus uh, coming to Mary telling her about Jesus and we saw that he will be name him Jesus but there's some distinguishing aspects of what Gabriel's telling Mary and that he will be a king because there's throne of David, the line of David and a kingdom. There's, there's something that Mary gets right on the outset of this is not a typical baby that's being born. Now, when we know the story as we take it through, uh, Mary and Joseph happen upon Bethlehem because they're there for the census can't find any room in any inn, so they get into a stable. That's not a typical birth, and it's, it's not a typical birth for a king. You know, if you can remember back when 
Charles and Diana had William. And as we watch as Americans looking into uh, Great Britain and the anticipation of will the child be a boy? And then William and Kate have their first son and all we, we see the excitement and the anticipation of royalty because what we know for Great Britain is they know the, the country will continue and there will be a, a, a security about the country as it continues. Really, births of kings do that for monarchs and royalty, but Jesus was no, he was no typical baby because he was no typical king. He didn't come, uh, first off, he didn't come to a welcoming people. He came to a people that actually didn't want him, didn't recognize him, didn't care. They didn't stop to recognize him, and he, they, they rejected his rule even as he uh, described it in John 1. We have this in verse 11. He came to his own, John says, and his own people did not receive him. He's not a typical king. He's not a typical kingdom. His birth wasn't a typical royal birth because his kingdom was not a typical kingdom. His birth was a signal of his reign and his rule and that he is a humble king. I think a lot of times we don't see uh, kings and monarchs in their humility. We see them for their austerity and their, their nobility. Jesus came saying, I'm not a man-made definition of kingship because his kingdom is of another world. It's a different type of kingdom. And he wants us to know that even by looking at his birth, he wants us to know that he's not a typical king and his kingdom is not a typical kingdom. You know, I think what would be helpful for us is just to review three titles, I think, that point to Jesus' kingship that is used of him in the Gospels. The first would be Son of David, the second would be Son of God, and the third, Son of Man. And I want to draw out how each of these... I can't get talking too fast because I'll start to cough, so let me slow down a little bit. <coughs> All right. I get excited. Son of David. All, all of these, I think, point to his, his glory in his kingship and his humble kingship. Son of David. He was of the line of David, and that's what was told to, by Gabriel to Mary. Both in, in Matthew's genealogy that flows to Jesus, it, it follows Joseph's lineage, all of his fathers. And they all go back to David. So Joseph was of the lineage, the line of David. But in Luke, the genealogy of Jesus goes through Mary's fathers. So it's Mary's ancestors that go up, and she too is of the lineage of David. So both of them are, are of the line of David, but when he is born in that line, it means that his rule is legitimate. You know, when we think about our world and how they interact with Jesus and just, I think he's a great moral teacher or he's just an example for us to follow, uh, Jesus doesn't let us do that. His rule is legitimate. We, we don't get to decide. We make his rule illegitimate when we try to decide who he is to us and we try to really to make him obey our rules, not obey his rules. People recognized his legitimacy, not necessarily in his birth, because they didn't know that for a long time. They didn't know how he was born. Only the shepherds. They were the ones that got to know. Then the, the three wise men that come, and they find out. Herod knows something, and this could be two years, up to two years after Jesus was born, because remember Herod says, every baby two years old and younger, let's slay, let's kill. Because to, to, his, 
his illegitimate rule was being challenged by Jesus' legitimate rule uh, in the line of David. Uh, but when people began to hear Jesus, that's when they heard something very unique. In Matthew 12, 23, all the people were amazed as after Jesus did a miracle. He healed the blind and the sick, and he's driving out demons. Everybody's obeying him. Everybody sees his authority. And what do the people say? And they said, can this be the son of David? They recognize something about his legitimacy. They recognize something about his rule over them. But in that lineage of David, it's also, and as Jesus walked in that, as he demonstrated uh, being a son of David, he's also showing the, the people and showing the nation uh, his mercy that's there. Because within, and we see this uniquely with, uh, with blind Bartimaeus, when Jesus is walking uh, past him and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, Bartimaeus is helping us recognize that Jesus, one, is the one that has sole authority. He is the son of David. But from his kingship, in his kingdom, come mercy. They don't come. That's not a usual concept that kings, that would be associated with kings. And as the son of David, just like David, Jesus is the warrior king who fights our battles and defends us against our enemies. We all know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, remember, and I've said this before, the story of David and Goliath is not to convince us that we can face our Goliaths. It's actually to convince us we can never ever face our Goliath. We need somebody to go for us. We need somebody in our place to go after that behemoth, that giant. Now, we are the ones, we're not the David, like I'm just gonna get the courage, I'm gonna go out and I'll get my stones and be like David. No, we're the, we're the guys, we're his brothers in the background, just sitting around going, um, who's gonna go today, anybody? No, not me, not me, you, no, you not, okay. Okay, just another day. 40 days they did that, nobody, David walks up because he heard something. He heard the blaspheming. Jesus comes as our king. He is our warrior to do what? To stand at death and defeat death so we could be saved. To, to then be our defender of righteousness in righteousness. See, what he wins for us is not just peace in our land. What he wins for us is peace in our hearts. What he wins for us is a holy wrath of God being abated by his death so we could receive his righteousness and be in fellowship with God, be in fellowship with the Father, just as he described he was always in fellowship with the Father. So he is the king, the son of David, the legitimate warrior, defender. He fights our battles for us because we would never be able to overcome our unrighteousness. He has to do it, and he did it. And so the birth of this baby that we celebrate is the birth of that warrior king. But he's also that humble warrior king. The second title that we see <coughs> in the New Testament uh, referring to Jesus is Son of God. He's the son of David, and he's also the son of God. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't refer to himself directly as the son of God. But he, he, 
Others are the ones that said, are, are you calling yourself the Son of God? You're making yourself one with the Father. Are you saying you're God's Son? He never did that. He talked of God as his Father. He talked of being able to judge and forgive sins just like his Father does. And his Father gave him that authority to be able to operate in and walk with. Uh, people were able to say he was the Son of God because of his description of the depth of his relationship with the Father. Now, as the Son of God, and when He wins our righteousness for us because we couldn't do it, He goes to the cross in our place because we can never pay that penalty, He gives us that relationship with the Father. So we then, the Bible tells us in Galatians, we are sons of God. We are those that have an established relationship with the Father that will be never-ending. He wins that for us as the Son of God. And then He rules today. He rules in justice. He rules with equity in order to extend the peace of his kingdom into the hearts of his people. So he still rules over creation. Where do we see his rule as the Son of God? He rules over creation. He still holds it all together. The writer of Hebrews tells us that everything's held together by the word of his power. And everything is made in him and through him and by him. And in him it all holds together. But he also rules over the church. And this, is, this has a rule because he's, he's ruling over the circumstances of unbelievers. But those are, think of it over. With the church, he is ruling in the circumstances because he's in us, in our hearts. So our response to him as the Son of God is to surrender, to obey, to yield our own quest and desire and struggle for authority, to yield that, repent of it, and say, God, I trust you. Jesus, I trust your authority over me because when we walk in his authority, things go well with us. It's like when Paul tells children, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's the first commandment that comes with a promise that it'll go well with you in the land. It's the same with us in our, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we obey our Heavenly Father, it goes well with us. We're not contending. We're not kicking against the goads all the time. We're not struggling in our relationship with the Father. We are enjoying and, and enjoying the fruit of what Jesus, our warrior, humble warrior king, has won for us. His reign is everlasting. As the Son of God, He's always been the Son of God. He will always be the Son of God. His reign didn't start when He was here or when He ascended into heaven after the resurrection. He has always been in authority. The amazing thing is that He put His authority on the side in order to come be obedient to the Father's authority on the earth while He was here. Now, they all, the mystery of the Trinity, they all work together. They're all honoring one another through their relationship and their love toward one another with Father, Son, and Spirit. But He is the Son of God. Now the third, the third title that I'd like for us to consider is Son of Man. Uh, you know, when we typically hear or read the phrase Son of Man, we will uh, a lot of times associate that with Jesus' humanity. Uh, and we read Son of God, we associate that with his, his Godness, His divinity. But we read Son of Man and we read it as, oh, He's one of us. He's human like us. Really, that's a Western thought. Uh, it's, not, it's not an Eastern concept, but most importantly, it's not a Jewish concept. When the Jews, especially the ones that heard Jesus describing this of Himself, He used this phrase more than anything else. 
Everybody else called him son of David. Everybody else called him son of God. He said, I'm the son of man. And that's actually has, it has more weight and gravity than the other two titles. And especially when Jesus uses it of himself. When, they, when Jesus uses it, and he used it in Mark 10, 45, when he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying the Son of Man himself, the King, the King eternal has come in humility to be priest, prophet, sacrifice, to save us from our sins. When his audience, his disciples, when everybody else heard that phrase, Son of Man, they immediately went to Daniel chapter 7. Verses 13 through 14, they say this, I saw, and this is the prophet Daniel, uh, the, Daniel in one of his prophecies says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. All of everything you expect a kingdom. This is a cosmic kingdom. That's why it's not of this world. And it brings to his people mercy and peace, not judgment and excising of, uh, of uh, works and performance in order to show loyalty to the king. He wins us over as our humble warrior to bring us to a fellowship with the Father that's everlasting. Because this kingdom, if, that, if that's the economics of the kingdom, and those, that kingdom's everlasting, it has no end and it won't be destroyed, our relationship with the Father has no end and will never be destroyed. That's what we celebrate with a baby being born. That's what we celebrate in Jesus, the, the non-typical, atypical king from a different kingdom. And he came to call us into that kingdom forever, to enjoy his presence forevermore. And when we have that kingdom, we have everything Jesus is, everything that he has, it's with us. The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church, that we are seated with Him in heavenly places. Meaning, we are seated with Him in His rule. And so our response to that is obedience and praise to worship Him with everything we are. He is our eternal King. He is the King that we celebrate this week as we anticipate Christmas Day coming at the end of this week. And you know, we bring attention to his role as king with every aspect of our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a little excited again. I talked a little too fast. We bring attention to his authority by our obedience. We bring attention to his humility through our humility, by our denying ourselves <clears throat> and serving him with all we are. So church, that's what we are called to do. We are called to celebrate and worship, but we are called to live under the authority and the love and the mercy of our King. Remember, King Jesus said this at the end uh, of his time on this earth. He told his disciples in Matthew 28, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has all authority, all of it, and we're to live under it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the ability to connect as a church and to, to connect around your word because that really is what keeps us. Jesus, you are the one that keeps us connected with one another. You are the one that keeps us connected to you in the Father's love. Lord, I pray as we uh, approach this week uh, amidst this Christmas season with all the <coughs> uncertainties and chaoses, uh, Father, I pray that we would honor you with our speech, honor you with our thoughts, honor you with our actions to draw attention to your glory as our prophet, our priest, and our king. You ended all of those offices and consolidated them all in yourself, and we give you glory with every aspect of our lives. God, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, let's remind us, I'm going to commission us uh, before we go. And Jesus came to them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got all of it. And this is what he tells us. Obey, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Merry Christmas, everybody. We love you.